Yeah, there we go. That's actually picking up my voice now. Actually, a moron. <laughs> Less of a moron this time. I actually noticed this time. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, no one listening noticed, right? It's true. It's true. And they did now. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have now. Yeah. So it was a little it. sneak behind the curtain there. Last week, I re- didn't change my microphone settings over when we were recording. So the end result was we had this great discussion with the three of us, with Dan, Trent, and I. At the end of that hour, I suddenly realized that I hadn't recorded any audio. I just recorded an hour of silence. So I got the fun job of when I was editing, going back and recording my own like bits and responses and things. It definitely sounds, it's definitely not the thing that people would expect of you. It definitely sounds like something that I would do, yet I haven't made that mistake. <laughs> I don't know that I expect of you. You're, you're very... So, you are not super, like, tech-savvy, maybe? Yeah, about as about as tech-savvy as a brick. Yeah. <laughs> you're fairly diligent, though, right? So, I actually wouldn't expect it of you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Whereas I did not, so we had that. Are you not diligent? Uh, I think I'm usually diligent. I think I'd slept about three hours the night before, so I was pretty tired by the time we recorded. Mm. But that's all right. As you said, no one noticed, so, you know, it's fine. Fair enough. It was extra work for me. It it also meant I got to go and make myself sound smarter by re-recording bits where I I messed up, so. We also cut, there was, there was something I cut where I was talking about something for an extended period of time and I ended up just cutting it. And I was like, I don't really remember what I was saying. There's just big gaps of silence in the other two tracks, but that's all right. So welcome to the Faction Podcast. We're back again, as you might have already noticed. So I'm here, Trent's here, and this week we've got Kyle. Yeah. Kyle's back. He's back, baby. Yeah, strict downgrade, but you know, have to live He's with He's back it. to steal my limelight of the 5-0, the living end day. Yeah. Yeah, He's going to claim to you all that he did it, but realistically, <laughs> yeah, no one will know. He was only part of it. Yep, yeah. yeah, Kyle was back, having actually played ten whole matches of of Magic in the last like three days. Yeah, well, ten whole matches of relevant Magic. Yeah, but that's modern. That's true. Maybe it's not even relevant because modern's relevant. <laughs> yeah, uh, good joke. It's not even supported by the people that make the fucking game, but it's relevant. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to chat about that today. Uh, probably. We'll talk a little bit about Trent. I understand you've been drafting. Yes, I have been drafting. So Modern Horizons came out at the end of last week, which is what has spurred this sudden interest in magic for Kyle and myself. And Trent's just always drafting, so that's not a huge change. But you have been drafting something new. Yes, yes, I have. I have not. I've not enjoyed it nearly as much as I did Modern Horizons One, unfortunately. Yeah, why is that? So, obviously, Modern Horizons 1 was, like, an incredible draft format, right? So, like, that's a high bar, but... Yeah, it is a high bar. You're right. It is a very high bar. Um, I think that I haven't enjoyed the draft format so far because a lot of the archetypes are extremely streamlined from my limited... Uh, I've done, what, have I done six drafts? And nearly all of them just come down to being base, like, two colours... And just trying to curve out and kill your opponent a lot of the time. Um, with the exception of some of the decks that are trying to like get a bunch of tokens and then drown you in, in card uh, 
quantity. Yeah, card quantity. But yeah, for the mm-hmm. most part, I haven't. I just it hasn't hit me like the other one, like the other format, and it is so expensive. Like the tickets, you just you chew through fucking tickets, and there's no return equity on the on the format, which makes it. Uh, I basically restricted myself to once, uh, to one a day, and I'm already thinking about just going back to once every two days because it's yeah, it's a lot of tickets. And if you're not three owing, which I think I've only three owed once, um, it's uh, yeah, not great. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. those drafts get expensive real fast. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even realize, but yes, they do very much so. I've still enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I have enjoyed it. Um, but with these specialized formats, you generally think to have something unique and interesting in all your drafts, but a lot of the time it's just been like, oh, affinity for artifacts. Okay, well, I guess I just picked the artifact. Or, oh, it's squirrel tribal. Well, I guess I just picked the squirrel. And that is just, you know, that's just like 101 drafting for core sets, you know, for base level sets, which is disappointing on my end because, like I said, I'm, Especially if you're paying this many tickets, so you're paying such a high high price to enter the t- the format, you kind of want to be able to. You, you have an expectation to have something different. Yep, that makes sense. It sounds like it's the the draft itself is very like the archetypes are very defined, so it's kind of on rails almost. Yeah, it feels yeah 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 that that's the best way of putting it. Is yes, it does feel like it is on rails comparative to like Mon Horizons 2 and other specialist formats that we've had. I could be wrong. Like, this is only my very based opinion. Like I said, I've only done six or seven drafts. But, yeah, my initial opinion is that it's been underwhelming comparative to the other formats that it is supposed to be stacked up against. Are the games any good? Because I know we talked about with Strixhaven that the drafting was a little bit on rails. Well, I think it got a little bit better. But that the games, at least initially, were really interesting. Well, not really. I haven't really found the games to be that interesting. Um, I've died a bunch of times out of nowhere, and I've killed my opponent a bunch of times out of nowhere just because some of the cards are pretty unique. Like some of the uncommons that speak to the like the uncommon payoffs that speak to like the blue black deck or the green white deck, and that can do some pretty cool stuff. But yeah, the games aren't really like I said. It's just the perfect examples like the artifact deck where you just want to play an artifact on turn one, play an artifact on turn two, play an artifact on turn three, and then drop a mirror enforcer or some uncommon on turn four. And that's what you're just building your deck to do. You're not really doing much outside of that. And the madness thing is almost very similar where you obviously want to stack your deck with as many of the good discard at the good cheap discard outlets of which there's a lot of, or more than usual. So your deck's full of them. And then just the, the madness cards that you can that are good and it's just they all just kind of line up the same so yeah not 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 great so far yep yep disappointing that it's not as good as we hoped it was luckily though modern has been quite good it's been very interesting so far i think caveating this with the fact that as always happens when a new set comes out especially i think a horizon set everyone's kind of agreed to not play the decks that used to be good like I have played 35 matches 
over the weekend, I think, since Horizons came out. About that, mm. 35, 40. And I haven't played against Prowess once. Yeah, yeah. Like. That's great. Everyone, everyone's just playing fun things in League. So, you know, grain of salt. Although we did have challenges over the weekend, which are always really interesting. Challenges are now like all we get of opening weekend. Like, I don't know if either of you, I mean, actually, I'm sure you both remember. One of my favorite things was always new standard opening weekend, release weekend, SCG opens. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. They were, they were great, great tournaments. Yeah. Just so much fun to watch, so much excitement about, like, what could possibly happen. I think this has a little bit of that as well, except that all we get now are the challenges and, like, streamers, essentially. Yeah. Woohoo. But we bought, we've brought Kyle back on, which is fitting because... So we only have results from the Saturday challenge, not the Sunday one yet, I think. I've seen on Twitter some of the results from Sunday, some of the top eight, maybe. But we only have the full breakdown and decklist for the Saturday. And leading the archetypes, so no other archetype had more than two decks present in the top 32, but with five decks was Living End. I don't know what to say. There's not much other reason to have me here, so I'm sure you all guessed it already. <laughs> well, then let's hope you have plenty to say. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. Yeah. Well. Talk, talk, Go. So, yeah. <laughs> this is your moment. This is your chance. I haven't done this for a while, so as we Cut. keep pointing out. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a blue living end deck instead of um, the Jund one. But I suppose it had mostly taken over the Jund list anyway. Um, except, so before it was four colours, because I was playing Ardently and Violent Outbursts Cascade spells. Um, with Shardless Agent being printed from Legacy into Modern, you only have to play three colours now, which seemingly is a significant improvement. Um... I don't know how much the mana base hurt before. A little bit, I suppose. Um, but now it's pretty chill, because you just have blue cyclers. Almost all blue cyclers. Um, I was just going to copy what Ian said, but I can't remember the exact words. What did I say? I don't remember what I said. <laughs> In terms of um, how Brazenborough and Force Negation... Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We were talking about this the other day. Uh... And I, I sounded much more eloquent than I am now. Basically, Force of Negation covers you against any sort of really busted combo deck. You're inherently good against most creature decks because your core combo involves a three mana Wrath and you have eight of them. And then Brazenborough buys you time against any of the really fast decks, which are pretty much all creature based. So like Prowess or Hammer Time, because those are all based on like suiting up one creature and you have Brazenborough for that. Yeah, so it's like getting that extra turn to get to your statistically average turn three or four uh, Violent Outburst or Shadow's Agent worked pretty well. Um, and at the moment, there's not... Well, there weren't too many decks that could do too much after you Cascade. There's no, like, blue-white control at the moment that's playing Supreme Verdicts. Everyone's given up on their counter spells already. You know what there is, though? Goblins. There is Goblins. goblins. Does not care about your living end. I played... The first deck I played with was Goblins. First deck I played a league with. Uh, because it got the it got a new Mana Dork. And the deck's biggest problem was always a lack of one drops. And getting a Mana Dork is just the perfect card. You have to splash green, but that's kind of fine. You already have four Cavern of Souls anyway, so it's fine. And I played against a living end opponent. And I put a Sling Gang Lieutenant in play, which lets me sack my Goblins. 
and then they ended up casting Living End, and all it did was put a Snoop in play and a Matron in play, so I just got to combo them the next <laughs> turn. Yeah, round two, baby. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a bit sad. It is a bit sad that you lost, that the Living End deck lost uh, Archfiend. So, like, literally all, you're doing oh, yeah. af- literally all you're doing after you Cascade is just having creatures in play. There's, like, no interaction with them. Whereas having Archfiend, yeah. like, Archfiend was nice because you could, like, kill a creature, like one of the humans, creatures, whatever, that uh, Freeboot or something that's taking your Cascade spell, and kill that, and it comes back, and you can still shrink it down and get rid of it. But now you kind of just yep. have to hope that your creatures are good enough. Which, for the most yes. part, they are. They are quite big. But, yeah. That hex, that hexproof, that hexproof dude is just unbeatable. It is top ten card in the challenge. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> it was a, it was a top ten most played card in this challenge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But just to speak on the talk, like the when you were playing, obviously you went five zero, and it wasn't particularly different. Like you said before, the the format just looks like it doesn't speak to respecting living end right now. Like. We didn't have one close. We 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 didn't have one close game. We just no. put living end on the stack and everybody died. Yeah, there was one blue control deck, but they mulliganed to, you know, they just mulliganed their hand unfortunately and couldn't mm-hmm. respect. It wasn't even a white control deck, right? It was like no, it was the garbage. yeah the team of cascade rhinos thing. Yeah, and it couldn't do a damn thing against what you were doing. So yeah, it, it looked really uh, really quite interesting and actually just rawly powerful. And you wouldn't hear me saying that unless it actually was. Yeah, I know. I wasn't expecting Confluence today. I was <laughs> expecting to have to go up 1v2 against both of you. <laughs> no, I mean, it, like I said, it was, it was literally the easiest 5-0 I've ever seen in yeah. modern. Yeah, yeah. I watched half of that league, I think, roughly, and it yeah. looked ridiculous. Yeah. All your opponents just, yeah, they just were all playing creatures, and then their board got wiped, and suddenly you had 20, 30 power in play, and it was like, oh. It looked very consistent and very good. Yeah. Um, the borrowers we'll look great. The forces look great. Just like all the yeah. points of interaction. The dead gods, which we spoke about before, you had de- four dead gods. Actually, that's it. that's an interesting question I should ask you because I haven't looked at the challenge decks. Did they? What were they playing in that spot? Uh, some of them still had dead gone. Uh, like the full set, the four copies. Yeah, I had okay. these open before. I preempted this question. Almost like I know what I'm doing. One of them had nothing. What what was in that spot? So obviously they're not respecting it. They all had graveyard. Hate. They had like leyline of the void, fairy macabre. Okay, so they were more suited for like the mirror and stuff. There's a lot of leyline of sanctities. Yeah, I think leyline of sanctities the the relevant comparison for that spot because like you're you pretty much can't beat burn ever. I was gonna say is that just because you can't beat burn? Yeah, I feel like it's an unwinnable matchup. Yeah, so I suppose if you think that the aggressive deck is gonna be Burn, maybe Paralysis, I don't know. Like, Paralysis, since Paralysis is like mostly creature based, it's probably. Paralysis seems fine for you, right? Yeah. Because again, it's the you brazen borrow on turn two and then sweep their board on turn three. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you don't necessarily need play lines. Yeah, I would, I would imagine Paralysis isn't too bad. Yeah. But yeah, if, you think, if the aggressive deck that you think is most prominent is just going to be Burn, then Leyline is a much better choice than uh, Dead Gone. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it hits, hits some other random rubbish too, right? Uh, I, I don't know. What yeah, it does. I mean, it's Thoughtseize decks as well, I guess. Uh-huh. Although the Thoughtseize decks aren't that scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I just know that it's you know always popular because people play the bloody thing. But, but as we as we were talking about, no one was playing Burn. There's two Burn decks in the top 32 actually, but I don't think people played Burn because it's kind of boring and didn't really get new cards. 
Although, <laughs> actually, that's not true. It got Flame Rift? It got the deal got for each player? Yeah, it got Flame Rift. Yeah. So, there's that. To, to be fair, there's no way that Burn Deck's going to play Flame Rift, right? There's got to be better. I don't know. I don't know what the balance of, like, four damage for two mana spells you want is. No, I, I, I don't either, but you've got... What What have you got? You've got four Barasham. Is that the only four, four damage spell that they play currently? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it's probably replacing... It'd have to, like, replace Helix in specific metagames. Or Searing Blaze in very specific metagames. I mean, it could, but... Also Dragon Rage Channeler, like... but I didn't look at the burn decks to know if uh, the DLC, played that. Because uh... that's, that's what I assumed would fill out the last couple of, like, bad spots in burn. But it did see... Uh... I don't know if it's actually doing pa- that. Uh, uh, Sullivan. Sullivan was tweeting about testing the uh, the DRC and said that it was quite good and pretty easy to get the pieces into the deck there, uh, yeah. that made it tick, which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, Mishra's Bauble's still fucking legal in the format. Yeah, he plays Prowess, though, not Burn. Oh, okay. So that was in Prowess, not Burn. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, as a brief aside on Goblins as well, because, you know, I feel jealous that Carl gets to talk about his pet deck. Yeah. I think that deck is actually good now, especially while no one's playing Prowess, because that was always the weakest deck. I didn't try and play another league with it, though, because I had the Moto restart bug nine times in five matches. Love it. And I just I just couldn't keep yeah. going. I was like, it's it's too painful. But yeah, the deck's actually fine now. Yep, I believe it. What about Siege Rhinos? How'd that feel? Yeah, so that's the other reason I didn't keep playing the deck, is that Trent talked to me about an Abzan deck he was he was brewing up, and then I had some free time on Sunday. So the core idea of the deck is that Siege Rhino pitches to both the white and the black elementals, the Convoke elementals, the like Forceville elementals, and I guess the green one, but not the main deck. So then you get to play a lot more top ends. You can play Siege Rhinos, and you can play these four and five drops because you have ways to like cheat the tempo and play them faster. Because the problem with Seedrun and Modern has not has always been like the first one's usually okay, but if you ever draw two, you're just in a lot of trouble in most cases because it's too many four drops in Modern. So I put together a list of that and I played four leagues on Sunday and I went 15, 15 and 5, I think, 14 and 6, something like that. And the deck felt quite good. Feels very classical mid-range, you absolutely crush all the aggro decks. I played against uh, Burn... I played against Red-White Prowess once, actually, and crushed them, and you can beat the combo decks, but you have to have the right hate. The deck is also a Stoneforge Mystic deck, but it's not It's not super fast out of the gates to playing Ephemerate. Like, so some of the, the combo decks are difficult if you don't have the right hate, so a lot of making that deck good, I think, is going to come down to tuning the sideboard. Yeah, it's definitely that's definitely a fair assumption. Um, I would, I would push back a little to say that the addition of cards like grief and not so much solitude because solitude is more of a, um, more of a uh, just a generally good mid range card against aggressive decks, which are already kind of good against. Um, the the fact that you get to the fact that you get to play cards like grief and tight hollow skull do give you some. Or just generally more leverage against the unfair decks in the meta that previous decks like Abzan and Jund and those kind of decks have had in the past. So you are, I think you do gain a lot of percentage points with this kind of build comparative to 
the builds of old in against those bigger like you know your trons your nauseums what, what have you yeah absolutely you definitely do and then it's yeah it's a matter of also shoring those up in the sideboard but you're right you we were playing four scholar and four grief and so you just have eight discard spells even without playing thought caesar inquisition which we had some thought caesars in the side as well so you can really hammer people with discard i think the problem i found and especially against living end was it was the the one card combo decks where all your discard doesn't matter if they can just yeah you can't touch the top of the deck yeah of course so that works really well against anyone trying to assemble like multi-part combos but specifically against living end i just i lost a game where i had three extra discard spells in hand and they just drew a cascade spell that's that's all that's just classic john classic junk classic uh jund issues yeah yeah the stoneforge look fantastic in the deck though I, i really like the um the combination of grief plus that the 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 tempo gain plus loss so the cut what am i trying to say the the pitch of grief is a grief like it doesn't feel great sometimes but the fact that you can protect it with your protect your stoneforge with grief and tide hollow scholar really made like sort of fire and ice sort of feast and famine really shine yeah and then on the other end grief having menace makes it a great target for carrying swords yeah of course it's really hard to have two creatures that can block it once it has a sword yeah and the fact that you've just got because we were playing the three set right we were playing uh, feast and famine fire and ice so we had the protection from all, all three or four colors that you actually care about in the format yeah yeah absolutely the other card that i tested in a couple of the leagues as a sort of evasive threat with some value and instant or graveyard hate was Douthy void walker which i believe trent you have some thoughts on yeah i don't like it um don't like it because in highlander specifically um I think that it is, again, this is only uh, a small sample size, but the card is so fucking egregious to any hand that doesn't play uh, or just draw into spot removal. Yeah. It's probably pretty good in modern, obviously. Uh, there, was a, there was a thing that you showed me today where opponent cut thought seized in, they took his Emrakul and then put the Emrakul into play. Because uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as uh, as the Void Walker says, it doesn't go to the graveyard. It goes to exile with Void Counter, and then you can sacrifice the Void Walker to put a card from exile with a Void Counter on it into play under your control without paying its mana cost. And I didn't realize when we played this that it did it without paying its mana cost yeah. until you were playing a game against Swanee and Highlander. Yeah, so I played a bunch of Highlander this week. Um, against a couple of people, played against what he was it yesterday or might have been the day before, and he resolved the, the void worker on turn two, and I didn't I, I just uh, kind of had a run out that didn't have a piece of point removal for it, <clears throat> but outside of that was ex- an extremely strong run out, and over the course of three or four turns the void walker became a ren and six, and then it became an omnath, and then I think I died, but yeah, I think you died at that point. Yeah, I think I might I think I might have just conceded, but uh. Yeah, the fact that they are exiled with void counters and then the subsequent ones that come back still see those void counters is uh, probably something that people didn't really realize at first, but is mm. kind of busted when you're pairing it with cards like Lurus of the Dream Den, Unearth, Priest of the, Priest of the Blood Right, the new Black-White uh, Tutu. Just a bunch yeah, of things can... that you can do to really 
bend and snap that card and it is absurd because the other part of it is um and whilst this will apply to modern it also applies heavily to highlander is that every card every card you fetch you lose that it doesn't go to your graveyard it goes to exile you, know, you cast ponder it, it doesn't go to your graveyard it goes to exile and the void walker eats your graveyard the whole time that it's in play yeah i saw it brick a snapcaster for you but also i think highlander has so many delve spells and escape spells yeah it, it just it, it works on so many angles i mean obviously it can't block but it's never being blocked so it's also a two mana three powered unblockable creature yeah again really good with swords yeah i'd be very interested to see where they uh where they end up in regards to the card the card is ex- ex- like i said exceedingly egregious uh if you just have a run out that doesn't have a piece of removal uh yeah and for a two drop costs you nothing to put in your deck outside of black black so even as you said the thing that really i suppose appeals or worries depending on your point of view to me is it's it's ability to combine with discard spells so like you mentioned the the emrakul play but even on a lesser scale the fact that you can play it on turn two and then follow it up with a discard spell and you just the combination of those two cards strips their biggest haymaker from their hand and then you get to cast it for free yeah, just imagine the sequence of whatever into Voidwalker, untap, cast him to Turak. And then, yep. you know, you're just you're living in fairy dreamland. You know? Like, it's going to be very hard for your opponent to beat that two drop that could put, you know, a Titania or a Planeswalker or some obscenely powerful card that isn't supposed to be cast until turn seven into play for free. Yep. Yep. So we'll see how that goes in Highlander. I'm actually. I actually am lower on it in modern because I think modern is much more creature centric and people have a lot more removal. Yeah, I could believe it. I, I could believe it. Um, it's it's got some nice little applications. I, it is definitely in the similar vein of scavenging ooze, in my opinion. But it does yep. hit a couple of different. It has a couple of different applications. I think it's got a much greater ceiling, but potentially the floor might be a little bit lower. Yep, I would believe that. So there's a few other interesting decks in this challenge and in modern that are popping up. There's been there's been a bit of a, a schism between the Teema Cascade decks. So we've talked about living in quite a lot, but there's also been Teema decks playing the same Cascaders and they're cascading into the Rhinos, which I've already forgotten the name of that card. Crushing Footfalls? Crashing Footfalls, correct. And just putting a huge amount of power into play which have been an interesting deck. And I think it's really interesting to think about which, I suppose, deck or which which supporting cards you want to put around the Cascade shell. Sure, sure. I, I'm not overly familiar with the whole um, deck construction at the moment, at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it seems really strong. Shadowless Agent is a hell of a magic card. You know, Bloodbraid Elf. Bloodbraid Elf was banned for a reason. It's cards. Cards are egregious. Yeah, what's the other thing is those decks those decks get to play Bloodbraid Elf as well. So in fact sometimes they play sometimes they play I think they usually play Violent Outburst, but they also just get to free roll Bloodbraid Elf. I have seen some versions that instead of playing Crashing Footfalls are playing either Ancestral Vision or the the Anticipate that turns into Ancestral Recall. See the truth? See the truth, yes. Which I think is just worse than putting two uh two rhinos into play i would presume for the most part yes 
Drawing Rhinos is pretty bad, though. Drawing Rhinos is bad, but Drawing Anticipate's not that much better. Having Opening Hand Rhinos can't be that bad. Opening Hand Rhinos is fine. Opening Hand's not as bad, especially because it's only a single green to suspend, like, whereas Living Hand costs four mana. Yeah, yeah well, not, that's the you're not not on the same page here. Yeah. Not not doing yeah, exactly. not suspending living end anymore in blue decks makes too many black sources. We've given up on that line. With the crashing full falls being like a bad draw late, the little bit of the team deck that I've watched is seemingly like a few draws where they have that happen. Mm. It's like you, you draw a false negation, and you don't have a blue card, and it's an expensive cancel, or you have. Yeah, if it falls, or I don't, if they're all playing Asphaltholds, like you're an Asphaltholds late when you really want to spell. I know some of them were and some weren't. I think some are just on the Cascade. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting questions around, yeah, how to build it. I don't know. It, it seemed like having Force of Negation in a, in a fair deck wasn't quite what they wanted to be doing. But then you played Force of Negation in Soul Herder, right, Trent? Soul, yeah, it's, it's been in fair decks ever since it was printed. It's not a, not really an uncommon thing at all. No. It's quite common. I think it's just because it's such a good card, right? But it just... It just gives you such a good platform against the decks that you're scared against. Just when I was watching people play it, it just looked really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it can be... It, it can be a little awkward. Um, it's definitely fallen out of favour in the fair decks comparative to when it was first released because uh, the fair decks generally never had a free spell. Hmm. So that was definitely like a pretty strong upgrade from whatever it is else we were doing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not un- definitely not unheard of that um, the fair decks are running Force of Negation. I could see it being, yeah, I mean, obviously it's pretty awkward with, well, you, you can't really play Force of Negation with Bloodbraid Elf, right? No, yeah. That's not, so that's not, if they're doing that, that's, yeah. you know, I don't want to call people out but that's just incorrect deck building you can't actually yeah. do that no yeah i guess i articulated it poorly i was trying to get to where uh there's like a few cards that rely on other cards to do things and they it, it felt like there were too many things going on at once sure sure so the list the lists were just not clean I, I just don't know how much you can do to change it right like if you say the list is not clean you have your cascade spells and you have your cascade target so you can't change that. And you have your false negation, you have blue cards, and you have potentially as we're told, and your spells to cast, like they're just the, the pieces of the deck. It's just like the exact, like the interactive spells you want to put around that are the cards that change, and they weren't the cards that looked bad, because they were interacting with their opponents and they looked good. It was like Yeah, right. Drawing these other cards that relied on having something else going, and I don't know. Maybe yeah, I think, just, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, maybe it was just the selection of games that I saw. Maybe. Because, like, obviously people are, are keen on the idea. So it's, like, a lot of people have backed it as being good. Yeah, I think I think the decks are good. I, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a whole lot of experience in actually looking at the deck list. So I have seen a couple of games of them play out. I was watching Spike um, on the side a couple of days ago, and he was playing against a Crashing Footfalls deck, and it looked good. But... Um, these things, these things all take time as well. Like some people might have just jammed it with the thought that maybe force of negation is good in the deck when it's not, and this is just the testing phase. I mean, it's the same as we were just playing a game with the 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 deck list that Doomwakes posted. Uh, Ian was just playing it on stream now, and whilst 
the deck can do some really broken things, Ian's immediate response was, well, there's two halves to this deck. It feels like the, the deck's trying to do too many things and it could just be doing one thing. And that kind of is in the same in a similar vein exactly the kind of thing that you're conveying now. Yeah. And we're only in the first week of New Modern, right? Like we're not, you know, we've got to kind of give people the time to work out uh, where they are in the format and what they what their decks trying to actually do. What cards they actually need too, because the format evolves so quickly that Force of Negation might be fantastic in the first week and completely unplayable in the second. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting with those team of decks to think about how mid-range they want to be and how combo-y they want to be, because that's part of that discussion is working out where you want to be positioned. And, it's been, like, and that can change week to week, but whether you're trying to be more controly mid-range and playing like Cryptics or something, or whether you're just more all-in on trying to make Rhinos on turn three every game. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's the beauty and terror of modern. Some people love that, some people hate that. Yeah, for sure. That deck Trent mentioned as well, we should touch on briefly. So this is a deck that... There actually weren't any in the challenge top eight on Saturday, but people have been tooling around with, and, and I'm only going to say this card name once, uh, Asmorano Mardikadaistinakaldaka. Uh, chef. Which The chef, yeah. Which is which is the the free, free zero mana cost. You can only play it if you discard a card. And it costs one mana, and it searches for a card, and it is a three three, and you can sack foods to shoot other creatures. It's very powerful, obviously, and people have been trying to pair it with Hollow One and Vengevine. I've seen initially in discard based decks with like Burning Inquiry and Goblin Law, but this version is a green black version that is trying to play, lean into the food by playing Feasting Troll King, which you might remember from when it was previewed in Eldraine and everyone said it was the second coming of Hogak. Well, it wasn't at the time, but it looks closer to it now. Yeah, the the nut draws from it looked pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even the, the, the slightly above average draws. Yeah, so then this deck is playing cat-oven combo, it's playing this new Underworld cookbook, which is... It's so a one-man artifact that you can tap it and discard a card to make a food. So you pair that with Oval Chaser Daredevil, which all that matters is it's a creature, and when it if it's in your graveyard, when an artifact comes into play, you can return it to your hand. So with the cookbook, it's it just makes a food every turn, which fuels your Feasting Troll King and your Chef. And so this deck, as Kyle said, it's, it's best draws put, like, 10 power in play on turn 2 with recursion and the ability to like, shoot down your opponent's creatures. Its worst draws, as, as Trent will have seen just before, involve a lot of, like, stitches suppliers and making a lot of food and not doing a whole lot of anything. Yeah. <laughs> Look. Yeah. The, the classic wheel spin. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Like, in, even in some of the games, though, if you, like, eventually ground out doing something. Yeah, for sure. Like, with the with trail of crumbs and whatever. Um, right. Whereas compared to the, the red list, the hollow one ones, it's like if you had a bad burning inquiry, you just sat there. Yeah, I actually still think it's more consistent, even mm. even so, than the the hollow one lists I've seen in the red and the Vengevine lists. Vengevine in particular is really hard to trigger consistently. Yeah, yeah. 
I think it has like a similar ceiling, but it's the the food version has a lower floor. Trail of Crumbs is actually really interesting. So I had two of them in the sideboard, and they'd been like I brought them in in against Jund and absolutely crushed them with the Trail of Crumbs. And I also brought them in in a mirror that I played. <laughs> I got paired against Doombike and immediately thought, oh, I guess we'll find out how the mirror goes. And the answer was it was very, very weird. And I'm not sure how much I learned from it. But it's a good point, actually. There's a few cards, sort of, I'm calling them flex slots, but obviously it's, this deck's not very old. Nothing is, most of the decks are not set in stone yet. But I actually think I might try out just playing Trail of Crumbs in the main deck. They're making a lot yeah. of food tokens. Would be interesting. Yeah, it just sort of reduces the amount that you, you spin your wheels. The deck, because that is probably the fail state of the deck, is when it just makes a million food tokens and doesn't do anything with them. The other thing Trent suggested was having, like, Mayhem Devil equivalents, but you were saying that the, the mana base is probably too stretched for that? So I haven't tested it. I've only played just under two leagues with this deck, but it is what Doomwake was saying on his stream, was that the mana is difficult. And the main reason for that, well, firstly, so there's 21 lands, although you are playing four Gilded Geese, so I feel like maybe you could. I'm not sure how much you actually want to play three drops, is the other thing, because you aggressively discard your excess lands, so you don't... Like, you don't, it takes a lot to flood, or even just like having a lot of lands. But the reason, the other reason that your mana is not amazing is because you play four Urza's Saga, which is a card we've somehow managed to not mention all casts, despite it possibly being the strongest card, I think it turns out, from Modern Horizons, at least in the modern. Yeah. Um, interesting because we, we spoke about this, was it last week or the week before? Yeah. And uh, I know I personally wasn't prepared to say anything about it because i didn't know which i think is totally reasonable it's such a weird card it's nothing like anything we've ever seen before yeah so feel free to go into it seeing as you've played it sure so i might i'm just gonna read it out because this is a this is a weird card firstly i just want to say i love that it just has the name like the name is fantastic the fact that that's a set and a big vorthos thing is very cool so it is an enchantment land Urza's, is it actually like a... Yeah, it's an Urza land. It is an Urza land, yeah. So it's... It is an enchantment land Urza's saga. So it is a land and a saga, which means you play it as a land, but it also goes away after three turns, usually. Mm. So the first first chapter is it, it gains tap to add a colorless. It's, it's a waste. And then the second chapter is it gains two tap create a, a construct. So a zero zero that gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. That's an artifact itself from like Urza. It's the same thing. And then chapter three, search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one. So not mana value. So you, so you can't get engineered explosives and put it onto the battlefield. Not in your hand, onto the battlefield. So there's a few things that I think we maybe touched on last week, but aren't immediately obvious when you read it. The first thing is you usually get two constructs out of this because you activate it a second time with the third chapter on the stack. Or in your upkeep, I guess. But you can activate it on the third turn before you sacrifice it. The second thing is it puts those artifacts into play so they don't get cast. And that comes up. So the big things here is it's just a lot of power. Like, two two constructs is a lot, and it's uncounterable. It's very hard to interact with it, although... I have both had my Urza Saga blown up and also blown up other people's Urza Saga with Nature's Claim, which feels gross. Uh, it feels, well, depends on which side you're on. Yeah, yep. 
So this card is just a lot. It's not super fast, but it's just a lot of value. When you think about the fact that you are probably going to spend four mana over two turns and essentially like a land drop to make two constructs and then tutor up an artifact, that has the potential to be a lot of board presence. So this deck specifically plays Witch's Oven and the Underworld Cookbook as its tutor targets, basically. But it's really, really good at making a lot of food tokens. And then this is one of the cards that pays you off for all these random artifacts that are lying around. Also plays Gilded Goose for the same reason. Just paying you off and making these huge things. The, the, the biggest example I can give of how powerful this is, is that I played against humans earlier today. And this game just had me absolutely cackling. So we're in game two. And I've absolutely crushed my opponent in game one. They played... They kept a hand with no one drop on the draw. Their turn two was play Athalia. My turn two was play a Feasting Troll King. Mm. Put a 7-6 Vigilance Trample in play. So I won that game quite easy. Mm. Close. Yeah. It was, you know, it's one of those games where it feels like you're not really playing the same format. No, it doesn't sound like it. People who have played Hogak know this feeling of just... You sit down and you play the first two turns and it's just like the game is already over and it was never close. It feels like that. Game two, they have... On turn two, they play a Chalice of the Void on one. Now, this deck, the only spells you are casting in it cost one, basically. Because there's some Troll Kings and there's Street Wraiths and there's Oval Chase Daredevils, but you basically never cast them. Basically, every spell in your deck costs one. My turn one is a Stitcher Supply, so I have a Stitcher Supply in play. They, they turn three, they Imperial Recruiter for Sanctum Prelate. They play that on turn four. And they put it on two, which at the time I had zero two drops in my deck, but I guess they already had Chalice on one. So fair enough. They're just, they've just they locked off any Assassin's Trophy I might have had, I guess. I didn't have any, but you know. And then their turn five, they played Meddling Mage and named the Chef, which is actually a zero mana card, even though it costs one mana. It's a zero mana card, so it doesn't get countered by Chalice. But that was my way to, you know, clear their board. So at this point, I'm, I'm, you know, they've locked out most of my deck. I went on to win this game without casting a single spell. Other than the, the turn one Stitcher Supply. And the reason was I just played a turn two Urza Saga. Turn three, I made a Construct. Turn four, I made a Construct and played another Urza Saga. And I got to go get, I think I went and got a cookbook to let me start making food and, like, eventually discard a Feasting Troll King that I drew. So I just, like, made four constructs. They were all eight-eights or bigger, like, by turn five, or by turn four even, close to. And I still got to activate the abilities of my artifacts. I got to put my artifacts in play with the Urza's Saga, even though I, you know, they have a Chalice on one. And I think that game really just hammered home to me the power of this card and the potential of this card. Mm. Yep, fair enough. Yeah, look, uh... From what I've seen, it looked incredibly busted. Um, yep. Didn't look fair, didn't look reasonable, and, you know, is what it is. But at least now we have an answer for the listeners that, yes, the card is extremely good, and <laughs> you should play it. Yeah, that's our, that's our summary. After last week, we didn't know. We've determined, yes, very, very good. So that's um, an interesting card. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. To so say it's, It is slow. So it definitely has the potential to be punished. So I actually quite like it in this deck because this is otherwise quite a fast combo deck. 
and then it just neatly sidesteps like graveyard hate and that sort of thing by just you don't need to cast spells you don't you don't need anything but time to produce this massive board that's the main deck i've been playing the other deck i've been thinking about and watching a little bit of and considering playing is five color like domain zoo which got a few toys it got a few domain cards it got it got Scion of Draco, which I'm still not sure about, but there's also a bunch of multicolor aggressive creatures. Is that the dragon? Yeah, that's the dragon. The 12 mana dragon. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I died earlier to playing playing this, this Absan deck. I killed this Scion of Draco. I'm at 11. I think, okay, I'm safe now. I like, by hard casting a Solitude as well. This was the Siege Rider game, the deck, yeah? This is what I seen? Yeah, yeah. You, I don't know if you watch a specific game, but you're definitely watching this deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I played a Solitude, a hardcast of Solitude, exiled their Draco, and their hand, they have two cards in hand, and they just have a Mana Dork in play, and I'm at 11 life, and I'm feeling pretty good about this game. I had, like, three more cards in hand, but I'm tapped out. My opponent untaps, Lightning Bolt's my 3-2 lifelinker, Tribal Flames is my face for five, attacks with their Dork, and then casts Might of Alara, yeah. which is, like, a... <laughs> Single green, it's like a giant growth, but it's plus X plus X equal yeah. to the basic yeah. land type. So it's just one mana plus five plus five. Dope. Which I can't believe is a card we hadn't thought of, Kyle, back when we were playing five color aggro. I thought we had too many bone spells, but maybe maybe we just didn't think of it. So I thought we did like the the level zero approach of typing domain into the scryfall. And then being like, <laughs> level zero, eh? <laughs> yeah, and being like, so these are the cards that we get as payoffs, and we dismissed it too quickly because of having too many burn spells potentially. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't was know. That guy, was that Gaia's might? Is that was that the card you're talking about? Alara's might. I think. Alara's might of yeah, Alara. Might of Alara, close enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we just didn't look at it at all. But I feel like we did do the level zero thing. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we probably just didn't want to play because we won't play all burn spells. I'm starting to come around to it though because I've seen it. I've seen it be one mana lava axe several times now. Yeah. No, it had like conceptually, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing actually playing that Abzan deck is that is I can't kill General Rockerick, the three mana hero of Precinct One that makes four mm-hmm. fours instead of one ones. Turns out our Abzan deck has almost no ways to kill it at all because we're playing a bunch of. Uh, Solitudes and Skyclave Apparitions is that removal? Yes, I, I, I did offer some uh, some light on this subject. Yes, there times. are some options. Whether that whether yeah. that got through? Uh, well, I haven't changed the deck, but I think this was shortly before I stopped playing the deck. To be honest, yeah, sure. It's definitely something I would. I, I think I've changed it in my list on Modo, and if I run the league again, I'm going to play some combination of Drumoka's Command and Assassin's Trophy and a. And abrupt decay, probably not abrupt decay actually. That misses a lot of things in the format right now. Yeah, I don't love it right now. Like Scion of Draco and Feasting Troll King. Yeah, those two cards mainly. Yep. So that's what modern is at at the moment. The one last deck I want to touch on actually, Trent. Have you opened up the the Twitter link we sent in the chat? No. So I would like you to go open this and just give us your thoughts on this deck. Oh, what the fuck is this? Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know anything about it. I've only seen uh, snippets on Twitter. This is the a new Urza deck with um, Leonis or Lonus or whatever his name is, the cryptologist from the new set. Yeah. 
So this is a this is an Esper like as Trent said, an Urza deck with Lonus and also Academy Manufacturer and it just the the Reddit thread I saw listed it as Urza game objects, which is about right. Yeah, it looks like it. And I've seen screenshots I've seen screenshots of this thing just making like literally hundreds of tokens. Yeah, yeah, it crashed Moto. It actually restarted it restarted Moto for everybody yeah. that was playing. Yeah. So I guess it just eventually wins with like Khan for Ballista. This deck looks like it would be hell to play. Yeah, I mean it's this is like the the like the mad scientists workshop. You know, it kinda just does everything. I think of a broad a, a broad thing that we could just take away from this uh from this week is if you're playing modern, practicing modern and or just interested in modern just make sure that your cyborgs are prepped to beat these ridiculous kind of artifact enchantment strategies. Like, make sure you're bringing like your yep. collector roofs, your stony silences, your rest in peace. Don't skimp on shit in your cyborg that's that's trying to beat, you know, the Siege Rider mid range deck or the Liliana mid range deck. Like, just bring the hammers in your cyborg because these these decks, like, whilst they do some absurd stuff, they all it's the 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 one thing that holds true to modern is that the the, the sideboard hate is so potent and so prolific, and it's also so available now with like um, the release of MH1 and MH2 that just don't skimp on it. Get it in there. Like this this deck, whilst it looks awesome, it it doesn't look like it can beat hate. None of these decks that we've spoken about look like they can have reasonable runouts against good hate. Yep. I just want to say someone cast false vigor on turn one against. There's the saga and which seven. I do think Force of Vigor is a good place to be right now. Tell you what, getting to hit someone's land and their turn one play sounds really good. Kind of makes me wonder about Amulet because Amulet also gets to play as a saga as just like yeah okay. It it as a saga it, it well because it finds Amulet and again they just have lots of mana to activate it and make constructs. Mm. No, that makes that makes that makes uh that makes good sense. There was one in the top eight of this tournament, but it's still decent. But I'm not going to play it because it's not as sweet as all of the other brewers that could be playing. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of brewing out there at the moment. Yep. Uh, have we got anything else for this week? Canister just fetched the wrong land because he's using the alt art. <laughs> got himself, and he couldn't cast his tone one Gilded Goose. Are you watching a Twitch stream whilst uh, recording? It's muted. That's fine. I thought it was appropriate because Ian has the brought up the list. Wow. <laughs> it was good. It was perfectly timed to just see him turn one fetch with Misty Rainforest and get Watery Grave instead of Breeding Pool. And then <laughs> not be able to cast his Gilded Goose, immediately go to his deck list and then change for the normal art uh, shocks instead. That is, that is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, thank you for listening this week. We will be back next week. Uh, I've been Ian, this has been Trent. This has been Trent. And Kyle is back as well. Who knows when we'll see him again. Yeah. Bye, Kyle.